Chapter Five, Part One of Lady Molly of Scotland Yard, by Baroness Orzee. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Day's Folly, Part One. I don't think that anyone ever knew that the real elucidation of the extraordinary mystery known to the newspaper-reading public as the Somersetshire outrage was evolved in my own dear lady's quick, intuitive brain. As a matter of fact, to this day. As far as the public is concerned, the Somersetshire outrage never was properly explained, and it is a very usual thing for those busybodies who are so fond of criticizing the police to point to that case as an instance of remarkable incompetence on the part of our detective department. A young woman named Jane Turner, a visitor at Weston Supermare, had been discovered one afternoon in a helpless condition, bound and gagged and suffering from terror and inanition, in the bedroom which she occupied in a well-known apartment-house of that town. The police had been immediately sent for, and as soon as Miss Turner had recovered, she gave what explanation she could of the mysterious occurrence. She was employed in one of the large drapery shops in Bristol, and was spending her annual holiday at Western Supermare. Her father was the local butcher at Banwell, a village distant about four miles from Weston, and it appears that somewhere near one o'clock in the afternoon of Friday, the 3rd of September, she was busy in her bedroom putting a few things together in a handbag, preparatory to driving out to Banwell, meaning to pay her parents a weekend visit. There was a knock at her door, and a voice said, "'It's me, Jane. May I come in?' She did not recognize the voice, but somehow thought that it must be that of a friend, so she shouted, "'Come in!' This was all that the poor thing recollected definitely for the next moment the door was thrown open, someone rushed at her with amazing violence, she heard the crash of a falling table, and felt a blow on the side of her head, whilst a damp handkerchief was pressed to her nose and mouth. Then she remembered nothing more. When she gradually came to her senses, she found herself in the terrible plight in which Mrs. Skeward, her landlady, discovered her twenty-four hours later. When pressed to try and describe her assailant, she said that when the door was thrown open, she thought that she saw an elderly woman in a wide mantle and wearing bonnet and veil, but that, at the same time, she was quite sure, from the strength and brutality of the onslaught, that she was attacked by a man. She had no enemies, and no possessions worth stealing, but her handbag, which, however, only contained a few worthless trifles, had certainly disappeared. The people of the house, on the other hand, could throw but little light on the mystery which surrounded this very extraordinary and seemingly purposeless assault. Mrs. Skeward only remembered that on Friday Miss Turner told her that she was just off to Banwell, and would be away for the weekend, but that she wished to keep her room on against her return on the Monday following. That was something about half-past twelve o'clock, at the hour when luncheons were being got ready for the various lodgers. Small wonder, therefore, that no one in the busy apartment-house took much count of the fact that Miss Turner was not seen to leave the house after that and no doubt the wretched girl would have been left for several days in the pitiable condition in which she was ultimately found, but for the fact that Mrs. Skeward happened to be of the usual grasping type common to those of her kind. Weston Supermare was overfull that weekend, and Mrs. Skeward, beset by applicants for accommodation, did not see why she should not let her absent lodger's room for the night or two that the latter happened to be away, and thus get money twice over for it. She conducted a visitor up to Miss Turner's room on the Saturday afternoon, and throwing open the door, which, by the way, was not locked, was horrified to see the poor girl half sitting, half slipping off the chair to which she had been tied with a rope, 
whilst a woolen shawl was wound round the lower part of her face. As soon as she had released the unfortunate victim, Mrs. Skeward sent for the police, and it was through the intelligent efforts of Detective Parsons, a local man, that a few scraps of very hazy evidence were then and there collected. First there was the question of the elderly female in the wide mantle, spoken of by Jane Turner as her assailant. It seems that someone answering to that description had called on the Friday at about one o'clock and asked to see Miss Turner. The maid who answered the door replied that she thought Miss Turner had gone to Banwell. "'Oh!' said the old dame. "'She won't have started yet. I am Miss Turner's mother, and I was to call for her so that we might drive out together.' "'Then perhaps Miss Turner is still in her room,' suggested the maid. "'Shall I go and see?' "'Don't trouble,' replied the woman. "'I know my way. I'll go myself.' Whereupon the old dame walked past the servant, crossed the hall, and went upstairs. No one saw her come down again, but one of the lodgers seems to have heard a knock at Jane Turner's door, and the female voice saying, "'It's me, Jane. May I come in?' What happened subsequently, who the mysterious old female was, and how and for what purpose she assaulted Jane Turner and robbed her of a few valueless articles, was the puzzle which faced the police then, and which, so far as the public is concerned, has never been solved. Jane Turner's mother was in bed at the time, suffering from a broken ankle and unable to move. The elderly woman was, therefore, an impostor, and the search for her, though keen and hot enough at the time, I assure you, has remained, in the eyes of the public, absolutely fruitless but of this more anon. On the actual scene of the crime there was but little to guide subsequent investigation. The rope with which Jane Turner had been pinioned supplied no clue. The wool shawl was Miss Turner's own, snatched up by the miscreant to smother the girl's screams. On the floor was a handkerchief, without initial or laundry mark, which obviously had been saturated with chloroform, and close by a bottle which had contained the anesthetic. A small table was overturned, and the articles which had been resting upon it were lying all around, such as a vase which had held a few flowers, a box of biscuits, and several issues of the West of England Times. And nothing more. The miscreant, having accomplished his fell purpose, succeeded evidently in walking straight out of the house unobserved, his exit being undoubtedly easily managed, owing to it being the busy luncheon hour. Various theories were, of course, put forward by some of our ablest fellows at the yard, the most likely solution being the guilt, or, at least, the complicity of the girl's sweetheart, Arthur Cutbush, a ne'er-do-well, who spent the greater part of his time on racecourses. Inspector Danvers, whom the chief had sent down to assist the local police, declared that Jane Turner herself suspected her sweetheart, and was trying to shield him by stating she possessed nothing of any value, whereas, no doubt, the young blackguard knew that she had some money, and had planned this amazing coup in order to rob her of it. Danvers was quite chagrined when, on investigation, it was proved that Arthur Cutbush had gone to the York races three days before the assault, and never left that city until the Saturday evening, when a telegram from Miss Turner summoned him to Weston. Moreover, the girl did not break off her engagement with young Cutbush, and thus the total absence of motive was a serious bar to the likelihood of the theory. Then it was that the chief sent for Lady Molly. No doubt he began to feel that here, too, was a case where feminine tact, and my lady's own marvellous intuition, might prove more useful than the more approved methods of the sterner sex. End of A Day's Folly, Part 1